Let's start with prayer. Dear Father, Lord, um, it's just incredible to be in your presence. Uh, as we gather as brothers and sisters together today, Lord, we are gathered in your presence. We are gathered here specifically to worship you, Lord. To show how much we love you, how much we appreciate all the things that you have done in our lives. Father, there is no reason to be here except for that, to which we are extremely grateful. Lord, I pray today that uh, as I share some words from your holy book, Lord, um, these are your words. That what comes out of my mouth no longer are my thoughts, but are yours, that you wish to put out through the congregation today. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to stand here and to speak these words. In your son's name, I pray. Amen. Amen. So we have been going through the book of Luke, um, and I think last time we read through Luke uh, chapter 7, verses 1 to 10. Today we're going to read from 11 to 17, so that's Luke 7, 11 to 17. So this is the story where Jesus raises a man from the dead. So let's turn there. I must admit that death is not something I like to talk about. We are reminded of it through the many personal losses we have experienced in the church and in the world at large. Before we read, let's set the scene. So previously we've read in sort of 1 to 10 about Jesus being in Capernaum and him healing the centurion's servant who was on the brink of death. So we're picking up here. Uh, Jesus has left Capernaum and is now in the city of Nain, which means pleasant. And that's just less than 25 miles away from Capernaum. It was in the same general area that Elisha had raised from the dead the woman's son, and Elijah had also raised the dead in that particular area. These two prophets had ministered nearly 900 years before Christ came there. So let's start in Luke 7, and we'll read... 11 to 12 initially. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Now it happened the day after that he went into a city called Nain. And many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. So if you can picture this, we have two large crowds of people approaching each other. One led by Jesus, and the other by the dead man's mother. For the mother, this was the final walk with her son. The blast of the ram's horn telling all that the angel of death had come had been done. 
All the burial preparations had been made. The dead man's hair would have been cut, his body washed and anointed with the perfume of death. He would have been wrapped in a burial shroud, placed in an open coffin. His face would not have been covered. The mother would have torn her upper garment. Probably she would not have eaten that day out of grief. And now she's leading the funeral procession, walking just ahead of the coffin. Tears of mourning cascading down her cheeks. Behind the coffin come all the other mourners, crying, making the sounds of death along with flutes and cymbals. And it's at this point we see the first contrast. Jesus was walking from the other direction, followed by a large crowd. But these would have been excited, rejoicing in all the wonders Jesus had done. Probably a lot of talking around what happened in the opinion, or wondering what he was going to do next. For them, it was perhaps beginning to dawn that Jesus is the only living hope. As Paul says in 1 Peter 1, 3-5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith, for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So on this road, outside Maine, the pleasant city, there is a meeting of two processions. From one, death, the other, life. And Jesus is leading people to the pleasant city. Whereas the woman was leading people out of the pleasant city to the place of death. Jesus leads procession to life and life eternal. The songs of the funeral procession are mourning. The songs of Jesus are praise and rejoicing. So here is my first question. Which procession are we following? At the second coming, we will be in one of these two processions, either life or death. Do we live without hope like the woman at this point? For her, it would have, been, it would have appeared that all hope had died with her son. Or do we live with the hope of Jesus and what he is able to do for us? And this is the thing. Jesus hits it head on. It's two processions. If you can just imagine that. Two crowds facing each other. We'll read on. In verse 13, it says, When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin, and those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up, 
and began to speak. And he presented him to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding region. Let's think for a moment. How do we reason with death? What sort of questions sort of come up when we're faced with death? I think back to sort of my father's sort of various questions that sort of went on when my father passed. He said, and I remember somebody saying, you know, why did he have to die? It's such a shock, you know, because he was well, there was nothing wrong, why? I heard sort of an elderly uncle say, he was too young. Somebody else said, it does not make any sense. If these were the questions that were raised by people at my father's death, what must this woman have been questioned? What questions would she have raised? This was my only son. I've already lost my husband. And in that time to be in her circumstances was terrible. As a widow, she depended on her children to care for her. There was no welfare. There was no social security. Maybe she thought it should have been me. Why was it not me instead of my son? See, Jesus changes everything. All these questions that we don't have answers to, Jesus changes the question itself. He throws out our idea of certainty on his head. The first thing that struck me about the scripture is typically we would find that where people, particularly in that time, where people came across a funeral procession, people would stand to one side in silence with heads bowed out of respect. And some may even join that procession as further respect. Death overtaking life. But here Jesus turns things on the head. Jesus does not step aside, but does something that nobody else would have done. And that was to approach the woman head on. Because his heart goes out to her. Jesus was moved to the depths of his heart. There is no stronger word in the Greek language for sympathy. And again and again in the gospel story, it is used for Jesus. But not just words, but true heartfelt action, true compassion. Jesus said to the woman, do not weep. This same voice that would still the storm, that would cast out demons, that would heal sick, now speak softly to the woman. Don't cry. For me, 
if I was in her position, I'd, I'd struggle. I'd struggle to sort of, I struggle with Jesus approaching me. One is I, I wouldn't have known Jesus probably. And hearing this, these words, I would have thought, what possesses this man to come and stop my son's funeral procession to tell me, don't cry. As if everything would be okay. But is that, but that's, that's the point of Jesus. Often the case with life, or in life, we only get half the story. For her, she was just seeing that part of the story at that point of time. We can see the whole story. We only get half the story most of the time. I need to think beyond trusting that it works out, trusting that God's got a plan. He was telling her not to cry because he was about to take care of things. He was about to bring her son back to life. What he was saying was this, don't cry. Death does not have the final word here. God's heart is moved when we lose someone. Death moves him to compassion. When you lose someone you love, never come to the conclusion that Jesus doesn't care. Never think that he has forgotten about you or that he is too busy to bring you comfort. Never think that death is not important to God. God will speak words of comfort to us when we lose him. We just need to listen, to hear the voice of Jesus in our times of distress. He says it's all right. It will be okay. Don't cry. I am in control. So moving on with the story, we read that Jesus does something else that would have been unthinkable to the Jews. And that was to go up to the coffin and touch what was considered unclean. The pallbearers probably froze out of shock more than anything else I'd imagine. That Jesus, as well as coming and stopping the procession, speaking to the woman who was very clearly upset, he then went to the coffin, he then went to the body, violating the law, and then being, probably appearing crazy, starts talking to the young man to get up. And then the miracle happens. Immediately, the young man sits up in the coffin and begins to speak. Here we see Jesus conquering death. But notice what Jesus does. He doesn't just bring the man back from the dead. He gives the young man back to the to the mother. And the statement profound is when you die, you belong to Jesus. You cross over. So when Jesus restores this dead man's life, it is in Jesus' power to give him back. Can you imagine a reunion? Any happier than this. Mm-hmm. 
Just as Jesus brings this woman comfort, he can bring us comfort too. At the beginning of the day, I don't think there would have been anything going on in this woman's mind to think, he's going to come back to life today. I'm going, you know, it's going to be fine, we'll go ahead with it, but he's going to be brought back to life. That wasn't going on in the mind. The fog of death is covering everything. But here we see Jesus defeating death. And in Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus Christ conquered sin and death for everyone. Today we worship a risen, living Saviour who has promised to give immortality to all who believe on his name. No longer do men and women need to stumble and fall in the darkness of hopelessness. Jesus promised, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Death does not have the final word, Jesus does. But does Jesus have the final word in your life? There's another side to the coin of God's visit to his people. Just because he brings us comfort doesn't mean his presence makes us comfortable. We look at verse 16, we see that great fear came upon all and they glorified God. This widow was comforted, but everyone else experienced a mix of great fear followed by worship. These two responses are pretty typical of what usually happens when God makes a house call. People are gripped with a healthy fear of God and then they glorify Him. The same thing happens, the same thing happened after Jesus healed a paralyzed man in Luke 5.26 and they were all amazed and they glorified God were filled with fear. When God steps in and works in our lives, it can make us uncomfortable and even fearful. You see, it's one thing when God keeps us a safe, keeps a safe distance, stays quiet, never interfering with the natural order of things. But when He steps out the safe box, we try to put Him in. Because things can get a little scary. We get challenged. We get challenged to do things that perhaps we didn't necessarily want to do. He grows larger in our lives and suddenly we realise, just as C.S. Lewis writes about Aslan the Lion, he'll often drop in, he'll often drop in. He's wild, you know, not like a tame lion. That's the Lion of Judah. That's Jesus. He's not somebody to be put in a box. Once he's let out, that's it. There is only one way to go. And this fear is healthy for us. So if this is the case, how are we responding today? How is our worship? Are our hearts 100% in it? 
For me, I think we've got some way to go. I think there are certain elements of worship that is missing from our worship. That being awe, reverence, a fear of God that characterizes so much of the worship in the Bible. Do we have that here today? Do we fear God? We come to God so casually, and I don't mean in dress. How often are we late? Are we praying prayers and singing songs with a real sense of how great and awesome and fearsome God really is? Are we? What would happen? What would change if God physically visited us now? If he just dropped it, if he just walked through that door now, how would you feel? How would you feel knowing that God, that you were in God's presence? Of the Almighty Creator Himself, the Holy Redeemer of the universe. Tell me one thing, I think I think we'd be singing louder. I think we'd be singing with all our hearts. I don't think anybody here would be sort of would be sort of just quiet and sort of mumbling away. I think I don't think we'd worry about how we sound it. I imagine our singing, our praying, our giving. We hear it about the giving today. How much are you giving? Are you giving of your hearts? Whether it's money or whether it is whatever else in life that you can give. Where are you with that? Because God sees it. Doesn't matter what I see, doesn't matter what the rest of us see, God sees it. He sees what you put in that bag, we put on standing order. He sees what it's about because you're not giving to the church, you're giving to Him. And our preaching, or listening to preaching, are we yawning away, are we falling asleep? Do we think, oh, when's this going to end? Or are we thinking, See, maybe there's a few points in there I can take away. Maybe there's something I can work on. Maybe this can change something in my life. Not because of me, but because of God. Because it isn't about us. It is about God at the end of the day. We saw the fear that they had. You know, that was a miracle. They were fearful. We've seen the ultimate. Well, we've seen the ultimate when we've gone through that baptism. We've been raised. We've committed ourselves to God. We see the story of the Bible in the Bible. We see Jesus' life lived out. We see what he has done. Does that really convict us? Does that really take us to the cross to understand that his death was because of us? I think if Jesus was here right now, some knees would be knocking, some hearts fluttering. Maybe some of us fall on our faces and truly glorify God. There would be no holding us back. There would be no, none of this, well, it's not the tradition of the church. This isn't something I do. I don't feel comfortable clapping. Um, I don't feel comfortable raising my hands in the air. Is that about us or is that about God? In Psalm 147, verse 11, 
The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his mercy. Today, God is making a house call. He is calling out to you to come to him. He is offering his compassion and love. He is offering freedom from death. Will you hear him? Will you fear him? Will you glorify him? Amen. Thank you so much, James, for that. Please, let's stand for